Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Pregnancy dreams be wild because I had a dream last night that we were in a fight, but that that we were, I don't know what the fight was about, but we were fighting via text message and, and we never fight. Like we don't fight each other. So it, it was a fight via text message. And I just remember like my screen just filling up with these gray bubbles and then me looking at Steven and being like, is she serious? Like, just pick up the phone and call me and like, let's talk about this. Like, why is this, why is this happening? What was so it I wake about? Up. I don't know. I have no idea why oh. we were, I have no idea why we were fighting. So then I wake up and I'm like, oh my God, like I, I go back to bed and I must've still been feeling feisty because then I had a dream <laughs> that I was talking to my sister about something, not fighting with her, like just having a conversation. Mm-hmm. And then she said something and it was one of those moments where it was like oh my god like I can't believe you just said that like you're just being like why why would she say something like that so I call my mom after I get off the phone with her and I'm like telling my mom I'm like I don't know why Natalie said this annoying thing and my mom's like well she told me that you said whatever xyz and my immediate reaction was like why just why the fuck would she would she get off the phone with me and then go talk shit about me to my mom about things that like aren't true like whatever she said to my mom in the dream I was like that didn't even happen so I I wake up from this dream but I'm I'm awake in real life and I'm look at my phone and I'm (laughs) I'm like I'm gonna call her I'm gonna call her and ask her why she would call my mom and talk shit about me to my mom no and then I look at the time and I'm like, oh, it's like 745. It's too early. I'll call her. I'll call her later. Call her so later. Like, yeah. Back over and go back to bed. And then I woke up again for a second time or a third time. And I was like, you fucking idiot. <laughs> it was all a that dream. That was all a dream. <laughs> anyway, pregnancy dreams be wild. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome back to paranormal, everyone. Welcome back, everyone. <laughs> I'm Nicolina. And I'm Marie. And, and um, Marie wants to fight everyone, just like... Fight them all. Cody Crane. <laughs> you and Cody Crane should have a... Start I a... freaking dare Cody Crane. dare you. <laughs> freaking dare you to a duel, Cody Crane. Dare Cody Crane to fight me in a Dollarama. <laughs> I would pay to see that. We should probably address that we didn't have an episode last week. Yeah, we didn't, um, which was sorry. due to personal, personal, uh, family, um, er, emergencies. And so yeah. we didn't even get to post on social that we weren't having it. No. We didn't post about a hiatus. So hopefully y'all, uh, were just like enjoying your summer and didn't notice. Um, yeah, <laughs> but yeah, we're back and apologies. We yeah. do have a full episode is part two of our poltergeist episodes 
and I will be doing the second part of my story. Murray will be just doing one story, but mine mm-hmm. was um, long, and I can't speak for that long. So it was basically, doozy, I had to yeah. cut it up into two parts. <laughs> I cannot wait to hear the rest of it. It, um, it honestly, it's just it just gets insane. Like sh- I can't it's wait. insane. Um, this is gonna be good. But yeah, first let's uh, do horoscopes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Great. You go uh, first. Yes, yeah, sure. So, tension may arise today, Gemini, in your dreams. <laughs> it's possible that you're either too dreamy or too oh practical to deal effectively with the issue. It's important to strike a balance. The toughest part will be finding others who agree with you. The people you're in conflict with aren't likely to budge from their position. You may have to be flexible in order to reach a compromise. Yeah, that's true. I got. I yeah. already told you. I got into an argument argument with my mom today about the baby shower. So, yeah, basically, um, that's like dead on, like literally dead on. Um, and eventually, I did have to come to a compromise, and now I'm sending her. I'm trying to teach her how to use Pinterest so she can understand my vision of what <laughs> I would like. All right, boomers, they're visual people. <laughs> These boomers and their cell phones, I swear. Um, Okay. (laughs) Try to align your mind with your emotions today, Leo. It's possible that a powerful yet subtle force is slowly pulling you off track. If so, you should think about taking a break and doing some fast-paced physical activity to get your heart rate up and blood pumping. Jogging will help clear your head and enable you to think more rationally about decisions you need to make. No. Okay. I have been on track all day long um, trying to f- friggin' do get shit done. And mm-hmm. I did do some late night exercising yesterday to help like get a better night's sleep because I'm stressed mm-hmm. and can't sleep because of it. Uh, it didn't really help. So, I mean, I, like, sure, I'll do some exercise, but it's not gonna, I don't think it's gonna make a difference because mm-hmm. I, uh, my brain is mush at this point. I have flexed every inch of my s- mental oh. cellular functions. So that's oh whatever. So that no. horoscope so can, can fuck right off. Fuck um, right off. So anyway, right. let's get into the stories. Yeah. So basically, um, the first part of my story, the great Amherst mystery We ended the first part with the paranormal occurrences continuing and that basically everyone had their own theories, but every time a theory would come up with why Esther was experiencing or the manifestations were being experienced in this home, uh, they would be debunked and no one really had any explanation to why they were occurring. Right. And basically things went on this way until December of the same year until Esther got sick with uh, diphtheria and was confined to her bed for about two weeks during which time the manifestations ceased entirely however after she recovered from her illness she went to Sackville New Brunswick to visit her married sister her other married sister Mrs. John Snowden <laughs> um, I don't know why it's just my you know nothing John Snow um <laughs> If you watched Game you of did Thrones. really good. I don't, but I know you did well. <laughs> Thank you. So she went to visit Mrs. John Snowden for about two weeks, 
And while she was there, she was entirely free of her manifestations. However, when she returned to the Teed Cottage, the most startling part of the case began to occur. So one night while she was in bed, her sister Jane was now in the other room because they changed their rooms hoping to stop the experiences. She told her sister that she could hear a voice saying to her that the house was going to set on fire that night by a ghost. The voice also said that it had once lived on earth but had been dead for some years. The members of the household were called in at once and told what had been said. They only laughed, which I find odd that they would laugh at it at this point, but they basically remarked there's no such thing as ghosts and this could not take place and that everything she was experiencing was basically made up by her. So as they were talking about the matter, a lighted match fell from the ceiling to the bed, which Jane put out instantly. During the next 10 minutes, eight or 10 lighted matches fell on the bed and around the room. They were all extinguished before any harm could be done. In the course of the night, the loud knockings commenced, so the family began conversing with it. It would knock once for a negative answer and three times for a positive one and give two knocks when it wasn't sure. Dan asked if the house would be set on fire and the reply was three loud knocks on the floor meaning yes, and a fire was started about five minutes afterwards. The ghost took a dress belonging to Esther that was hanging on a nail in the wall near the door, rolled it up, and before anyone in the room could remove it from under the bed, it was all in a blaze. It was extinguished, however, without anyone being injured by the fire. At this point, Dan and Olive were afraid that the ghost would start a fire in some inaccessible place and would burn the house down. And at this point, finally, they were both convinced that it was really a ghost that was creating these experiences. Finally. While Olive was in the kitchen one morning, about three days after the fire under the bed, she noticed smoke coming from the cellar. Esther was seated in the dining room when Olive first saw the smoke and had been seated there for the last hour, previous to which she had been in the kitchen assisting her sister. When they saw the smoke, both she and Esther were paralyzed with fear, and Olive finally seized a bucket of drinking water and rushed down the cellar stairs, and was horrified at what she saw. In the far corner of the cellar was a barrel of wooden shavings completely ablaze. In the meantime, Esther had reached the cellar and stood looking at the crackling flames in blank astonishment. The water Olive had poured into the barrel was not enough to quench the flames, and by the time they went back upstairs, the house would likely catch and be burned to the ground. So instead, both Olive and Esther ran up the stairs and out into the street, crying, fire, fire. And at that moment, a gentleman, a stranger in the village, who happened to be passing, instantly threw off his coat, rushed into the cottage, picked up a mat from the dining room floor, and went down in the cellar. He put the fire entirely out and then without waiting to be thanked walked out of the cottage and disappeared into the distance and was never seen again chivalry is not dead and this man has proven it this man is proof yes yeah while no one really knew why or how the fire started the family assumed it was the ghost meanwhile the fire marshals of the village seemed to be of the opinion that esther set both fires herself so the fire under her bed and the fire in the cellar 
For the next week, manifestations continued to take place daily and were as powerful as ever. There was excitement and horror in Amherst as basically the town was worried that like their homes were going to get set on fire because this ghost yeah. was just a terror, right? Mm-hmm. As if to pile horror upon horror, one night as Esther and the entire family were seated in the parlor, the ghost appeared. Esther stood up and seemed paralyzed with terror. In a second or two, however, she recovered from her self-possession and pointing with a trembling hand to a distant corner of the room exclaimed, Look there, look there. My God, it is the ghost. Don't you all see him? There he stands, all in gray. See how his eyes are glaring at me? And he laughs when he says, I must leave the house tonight or he will start a fire in the loft under the roof and burn us all to death. Oh, I wish I were dead, she said. In that moment, Dan decided that Esther had to leave. But they all knew that none of the neighbors would shelter Esther because they all feared this ghost. So they turned to a man named John White who had always taken a deep interest in the manifestations and had often expressed pity for the unhappy girl. So Dan brought Esther to John White's and luckily both John and his wife let the girl stay. Basically, they were fine for a little while, um, but by January 1879, just four months since the manifestations first commenced, Esther had been at the White's residence for two weeks and not experienced any sightings. But towards the end of the third week, her old enemy, the ghost, returned. While Esther was scrubbing the hall at her new home, she noticed her scrubbing brush disappear from her hand when suddenly the ghost told her that he had taken it. After searching for some time, the brush fell from the ceiling, just grazing Esther's head. Many other remarkable manifestations continued to take place almost daily for the next two weeks. The ghost could now tell how much money people had in their pockets, both by knocking and by telling Esther, until the end of the sixth week, when his true devilish nature broke out again, where he started setting fires again around the White's house. This guy's yeah. a fucking pyro. <laughs> I know, he's a full-blown freaking pyro. Fuck, man. Um, he also began walking around the house so he could be heard distinctly. That so, is so creepy. John persuaded Esther to remain in his dining saloon, which was like a place where people would go and eat and stuff during the day, to keep the manifestations out of his home, since basically the, he was worried his house was going to get ca- caught on fire. However, while working at the dining saloon one morning, the door of the large stove in the kitchen adjoining the saloon was opened and shut by the ghost, much to the annoyance of Mr. White, who, with an old axe handle, braced the door open so it could not move. A moment afterwards, however, the ghost removed the axe handle and threw it in the air. Mr. White was speechless and immediately called Mr. W.H. Rogers inspectors of fisheries for Nova Scotia. I think he just wanted someone of merit to see what was going on. So that Mm -hmm. That at the time. Yeah, that sounds right. About right. Yeah. Yeah. After bracing the door as before, the same manifestation was repeated in the presence of Mr. Rogers. On another occasion, a clasp knife belonging to little Fred, Mr. White's son was taken from his hand by the ghost who instantly stabbed Esther in the back with it, leaving the knife sticking into the wound. Oh, Fred, my God. Yeah, I know. Like, this poor woman. Okay. 
Yeah. Fred, after drawing the knife from the wound, wiped it, closed it, and put it in his pocket. The ghost took it from his pocket and in a second stuck it in the same wound. Fred again obtained possession of the knife and this time he hid it so that it could not be found even by the ghost. Sir, come on. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Enough out of you. Yeah. So towards <laughs> the end of March, Esther went to St. John, New Brunswick. And while there was the guest of Captain James Beck and remained at his house for three weeks. While many others witnessed the manifestations and talked with the ghost by the aid of the knocks on the wall and furniture, other ghosts also came and conversed as well. One who said his name was Peter Cox, and another who gave the name of Maggie Fisher. They all claimed to have lived on earth before they entered the land of ghosts, but none were apparently as strong and healthy as the old original fire starter who now gave the name of Bob Nickel. Peter Cox claimed to be a relation of Esther's and said that he had been a ghost for about 40 years and did all he could to prevent Bob Nickel and Maggie Fisher from breaking things and using profane language. Other doctors, such as Dr. Allward, conversed with the ghost by saying the alphabet and the ghost would knock as the correct letters were being said in order to spell things out. After remaining in St. John about three weeks, Esther returned to Amherst and accepted an invitation to visit Mr. and Mrs. Van Amberg, who lived about three miles from the village. She remained eight weeks with them, during which period the ghosts completely ceased their disturbances. After eight weeks, however, she returned to Amherst and went back to Dan's cottage where the manifestations once again started. This next part details the actual author of the book's experiences with this ghost. So at seven o'clock on the morning of June 21st, 1879, Walter Hubble, the author of this story, entered the house. After placing his umbrella in a corner of the dining room and his satchel on the table, he seated himself in one of the easy chairs. After about five minutes, his umbrella was thrown 15 feet going over his head. At the same instant, a large carving knife came jumping over Esther and Olive's head. Walter then left the room and went into the parlor, taking his satchel with him. He had been seated only a moment when his satchel was thrown a distance of 10 feet. At the same instant, a large chair came flying across the room, striking the one he was seated on, almost knocking him over. He continued to experience things while in the house, such as chairs falling over, so he became slightly paranoid that Esther was the one who was doing these things and one day pretended to take a nap on the sofa to watch her closely. While watching her intently to see that she would not throw anything herself, a large glass paperweight came whizzing through the air from the far corner of the room. He requested Esther to then remain in the room, which she did when little George came into the room and she placed him on her lap. Soon after, Walter saw one of the child's copper-toed shoes being taken off by a ghost and thrown at him with great force striking his head. 
my god. <laughs> yeah. A few days passed without incident, but soon it commenced once more with mad pranks under the watchful eye of Walter Hubble. One morning, several knives were thrown at him. A large crock of salt was taken from the kitchen dresser and placed on the dining room table. The tea kettle was taken from the stove by one of the ghosts and placed out in the yard, as was a beef steak being cooked in the kitchen. And after dinner, the table was completely, like, destroyed. You know what? Up until now, I've been pretty understanding, but it's not cool to waste food. Totally. I agree. Rude. Yeah, Very rude. rude. I could have eaten that <laughs> beef steak. I want a beef steak now. And I would. Yeah. <laughs> During the afternoon while in the parlor, Walter made the acquaintance of all of the ghosts. Bob Nickel, the chief ghost, Maggie Fisher, another ghost almost as bad as Bob, Peter Cox, Mary Fisher, who says she is Maggie's sister, Jane Nickel, who I can only assume was related to Bob Nickel, and Eliza McNeil. So basically there were six ghosts, total ghosts present at the time, and which appears to be all of the ghosts that were present. With all of them present, Walter asked them numerous questions, all of which were answered by loud knocks on the floor or on the wall. The first question Walter asked was, have you all lived on the earth? Yes. Have you all seen God? No. Are you in heaven? No. Are you in hell? Yes. Have you seen the devil? Very loud. Yes. I'm afraid. At the conclusion of the interview, one of the ghosts threw Walter's bottle of ink from the table to the floor. The next day, the ghost stuck pins into Esther. These pins appeared to come out of air, and Walter pulled about 30 from various parts of her body. In the afternoon, the family's cat was also thrown a distance of five feet by one of the ghosts. Leave the pets alone. Honestly. And the food. Leave it be. On June 26th, two or three matches fell from the ceiling at Walter's feet. And being a smoker, he then requested the ghosts to throw down a few more, which they did. 45 were thrown during the day. On another day, during the afternoon, 49 fell to the floor. They're like, fuck you. Just I'm like, throw. you want fucking matches? I'll give you fucking yeah, matches. Yeah, I'll give you bitch. matches. <laughs> On June 28th, the sound of a trumpet was heard by Walter and the family. It continued to be blown around the house all day until late in the evening, when Bob let the trumpet fall in one of the rooms. It was composed of some heavy metal, very similar to German silver, and where it the ghost got it from no one knows because it had never been seen in Amherst until it fell on the floor so they heard this trumpet around and then all of a sudden it was it fell and the object became real basically that there hasn't been a trumpet around these parts for 25 years <laughs> yeah who knows <laughs> sorry okay okay I'm with you though so basically Walter was like well like rarely a day there was rarely a day without some object being thrown around by the ghost or something manifestation happening while he was there towards the latter part of july the manifestations became so powerful that it was no longer safe to have esther in the house 
Fires were continually being started. The walls were being broken by chairs. The bedcloths were being pulled off in the daytime. Heavy sofas turned upside down. Knives and forks thrown with such force that they could stick into doors. Food disappeared from the table. Finger marks became visible in the butter. And worst of all, strange voices could be heard calling them by name in broad daylight. At that point, it became clear Esther had to leave the house once and for all. So, one morning... After packing her things, she bid them all farewell and departed never to return and took refuge at the Van Ambergs and the ghost completely stopped at this point. While this happened, Hubble wrote his book and published it in 1879, selling at least 55,000 copies, which apparently at the time meant that it was quite popular. And with Hubble's professional help, Esther Cox embarked on a speaking tour, attracting audiences who paid to see her and hear her story. However, she was met with some hostile reactions, and after she was heckled one night and a disturbance broke out, they stopped the tour. She then returned to Amherst once more, working for a man named Arthur Davidson, but after his barn burned down, he accused her of arson, and she was convicted and sentenced to four months in prison, but Can't was released- a fucking break, this girl. Seriously, I don't- Jeez, sorry. Imagine she was just an arsonist. Like, imagine- if, It was like, just her. She was just yeah. really good at illusions She's and a pyro. fires. Yeah. And at stabbing herself with 30 and stabbing yourself and a 30. knife yeah. in the same wound twice. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> she was then released after only one month, I assume, on good behavior. And after this, the phenomena gradually ceased for good. Esther Cox subsequently married twice, having a son by each of her husbands, and moved to Brockton, Massachusetts with her second husband. She died on the 8th of November, 1912, at age 52. Afterwards, the Amherst case was investigated by the British paranormal researcher Hereward Carrington, who took statements from surviving witnesses of the events in 1907 and published them, along with a detailed account of the case, in 1913. Other researchers looked at the case more critically than Hubble, in particular Dr. Walter F. Prince, who made a detailed case for trickery by Esther Cox while in a disassociative state. So not only was she like being a prankster, but she was also in a disassociative state while doing that. Okay. Um, it has been suggested that certain aspects of the alleged paranormal events at Borley Rectory, sometimes dubbed the most haunted house in England, may be linked to the Amherst case. So I want to do this next. The experiences I was just of the gonna f- say, have we done the Borley Rectory? I'm not sure. Have no. We? Have we? Maybe I don't think so. Maybe not. We'll have to look back through the catalog. I don't recall doing that one. Okay. So I think that might be my next one. Yeah. Because the experiences of the Foister family there in the early 1930s in particular claims that writing appeared mysteriously on the wall resemble events in the Teed household. Reverend Foister had previously lived at Sackville, New Brunswick and may have been aware of the case of Esther Cox and possibly been exposed to the ghosts during this Um, time. Okay, the plot thickens. Plot thickens. So, I mean, (laughs) kind of part three coming through next time. Yeah, for a possible part three. That's amazing. Yeah, so that's really the Amherst mystery, and it kind of remains a mystery to this day, although the manifestations ceased. I feel, though, that if Esther, if there was actually something wrong with her, Mm -hmm. I don't know why they would have just suddenly 
gone away unless she was like, yeah, I'm not getting attention for this anymore. So why would I continue? Yeah. Wow. Unless it really did travel with this other person. Yeah. Or unless this guy just picked up a few of the ghosts on his, on his travels. And maybe he picked up the head ghost and that's why the other ghosts were like, well, we don't have a leader now. Totally. (laughs) The chief ghost was gone. So yeah. Damn. Well, that was a good one. Well, do you want to take like a really quick break and then we'll... Yeah, we'll take a a little quick, quick breakaroo. And I'll jump in. Cool. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, so I decided that I was going to do another poltergeist story, obviously, because we we knew we were, that you were going to continue the poltergeist. Poltergeist. <laughs> poltergeist. <laughs> Gabagool. <laughs> I will have the poltergeist Gabagool, please. <laughs> if it does not come with the poltergeist, I send it back. <laughs> um, so I'm doing the story of the Battersea Poltergeist. And um, this is an article that was written for the BBC uh, by someone named Danny Robbins. So uh, I'm going to literally read what he wrote because I I could not do better if I tried. Uh, And he tells it in first person. So I'm going to get real theatrical here. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Just kidding. Okay. I'm walking down a quiet street in Battersea, South London, searching for the site of a very ordinary house that was the scene of what I believe is Britain's strangest ever haunting. A poltergeist case that spanned an incredible 12-year period and at its height became a major national news story with newspaper headlines about strange noises, flying objects, exorcisms, and ghostly communications. And a case that's like, on this webpage, I'll link the 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 link for this article because it's making me laugh. There's yeah. like a picture of him outside, like of a sign that says the road, and mm-hmm. there's like a caption on the picture that says, "An attempt was made to contact the poltergeist on live primetime TV on the BBC, and it was even discussed by the oh by the way, it was even discussed by the Home Secretary in the House of Commons." Just so you know, like this, like went to government. This went to government, federal Mm -hmm. level. That's great. This went to the Third Circuit. (laughs) Right. (laughs) 
Okay. What is it about ordinary houses on quiet streets, I wonder, as I scan the door numbers looking for number 63 Wycliffe Road? Some of the strangest and most unsettling alleged poltergeist cases have taken place in anonymous semi-detached houses on seemingly tranquil roads. Perhaps that's what makes them all the more creepy. We expect to hear ghost stories in old stately homes or ruined monasteries and castles, but in an urban or suburban context, the inexplicable events feel that much closer to home. The haunted house looks like ours. The people affected are not dissimilar to us. Battersea is pretty gentrified now, full of gastropubs and trendy coffee shops, but back in 1956, it was a fairly poor working class area. Number 63 Wycliffe Road was home to the Hitchings family. Dad Wally was in his 40s, a tall gaunt man who drove trains on the London Underground. His wife Kitty, whose name I I love by the way. Um, Did you hear my cat going ape in the background yeah. there? <laughs> Sorry. All good. His wife, his wife Kitty, slightly older than him, was a former office clerk, now in a wheelchair due to chronic arthritis. Their daughter Shirley was 15 and about to start art school and working part-time as a seamstress at a department store called Selfridges. And it's Shirley that the strange activity in the house seemed to focus around and also the media interest. The pictures of her in newspaper articles on the case show a striking girl with dark hair and even darker eyes. The other residents of the house were Wally's mother Ethel, a fiery character known locally as Old Mother Hitchings, and her adopted son, John, a surveyor in his 20s who surely thought of as a brother. Their lives were changed forever one night when they were woken by deafening bangs reverberating through the house, shaking the walls and the floors. Less than a decade after the Second World War, it recalled memories of living through the Blitz, an intense barrage of noises so loud the neighbors came around to complain, imagining that Wally was hammering or tearing up floorboards in the middle of the night. The racket could be heard out in the street, This was the beginning of a nightmare that would come to dominate the family's lives. The next night, the same thing happened, and again, the next. Soon it was a daily occurrence, not just nocturnally, but in broad daylight, too. The Hitchings, sleep-deprived and terrified, called out the police and various surveyors, but no one was able to get to the bottom of where the noises were coming from. The sounds flitted between that intense banging and a scratching that seemed to come from within the furniture, even from inside the bed headboard as they tried to sleep, which would absolutely terrify me. Reports of poltergeist hauntings commonly start with noises. There was a psychology professor from Bucks New University whose last name was O'Keefe and was working on this BBC podcast series about the case and he said the argument from some parapsychology theorists is that it's about attention we're seeing effectively a ghost with a tantrum the word poltergeist is German for noisy ghost and they're often portrayed as being like supernatural toddlers smashing up your house in a fit of rage Mm-hmm. Like yeah, that's literally yeah, it's sounds actually about right. very yeah very uh, I don't know accurate description of comparison that. yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, after the noises, the next stage is all almost always objects moving, as if the poltergeist wants to up the stakes and really mm-hmm. show what it can do. Mm-hmm. On this front, the Wycliffe Road case doesn't disappoint. Evelyn Hollow, a Scottish writer and parapsychologist who also fe- who is also featured in the series says we're talking about a clock floating through the air we're talking about pots and pans being thrown from a room that nobody was in 
Multiple witnesses claimed to have seen bed sheets flying off of beds, slippers walking around on their own accord, and chairs moving. As time went on, these events became increasingly violent. Rooms are trashed, says Evelyn. The house must have looked like a bloody war zone. It's a truly wild case. And that's so true. I was thinking about that, about how like poltergeists are not shy about their hauntings. Like No, they want always, to be. They're very yeah, dramatic. They're definitely I always, Leos. <laughs> I always find that like the poltergeist stories are the ones where like, and then a random neighbor came over and they were like, do this. And the poltergeist fucking did it. And then fucked yeah. with them all night. You know what I mean? That happened throughout the lot. Like that story. Every time someone was like, yeah, show me, show me what you got. They're like, oh, I will. Oh, I'll Challenge you, accepted. I'll give you 49 matches, you little bitch. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Honestly, though, like, why can I relate to that? Oh my like, God. why would I be that ghost? Oh. <laughs> There you go, bitch. Baby. Yeah. <laughs> totally. That show is baby. <laughs> okay. All right. I digress. All right. That's amazing. <laughs> Up until this point, the case resembles many other poltergeist hauntings, obviously chilling and unsettling, but following an established pattern, however, it then takes on a truly extraordinary life of its own. There was spontaneous fires that broke out, so similar to yours, disembodied voices, Writing would appear on the walls and even on paper, seeming, seemingly letters from a ghost. And then there's a photo of like somebody wrote down like a, a time and, and, a, and a date. Um, so they were probably like writing something down to remind themselves of it. Somebody who lived in the home. And then in really shaky letters in a different colored pen, mm. somebody who was not from the home. So one of the poltergeists wrote. Yeah. Surely I come. Like C-O-M-E. <laughs> I just wanted to be very clear. <laughs> so there's also a fascinating detective story aspect to the case. The Hitchings nicknamed the poltergeist Donald, and over a period of months and years, they developed a way of communicating with it, searching for clues to who or what he was. While the newspapers creepily alleged that he was obsessed with Shirley. The bizarre and thrilling story feels equally fascinating whether you believe in ghosts or not. And if you do, it represents the best chance I've come across to prove that paranormal phenomena actually exists. And if you're skeptically minded, it becomes an intriguing psychodrama trying to work out what really happened and how humans could have consciously or subconsciously created these strange, seemingly impossible events. I became involved with the story back in 2018 while making a podcast called Haunted, so I'm going to go listen to that podcast next, where I interviewed people who believed they'd had ghostly encounters. One of the contributors told me about a case he thought might interest me. I'm just going to cut off from the story here. I am... Oh my god, it's my cat. Uh, I'm not, oh, the other cat. I'm like, I'm hearing things. I feel yeah, like... Yeah, now you feel like you have a poltergeist around. around. I'm so afraid. Okay, sorry. Uh, one of the contributors told me about a case he thought might interest me. A few months later, I found myself chatting to Shirley Hitchings herself. She's 80 years old now, and it quickly became apparent that this was not going to fit into a single episode. I devoured the book that Shirley had co-written with James Clark about her experiences, The Poltergeist Prince of London. I want to be the Poltergeist Prince. And would end up devoting much of the following two years to investigating her case. 
So there's a series on the BBC called the Battersea Poltergeist that you that people can listen to. Mm-hmm. Um, that was the result of him in, interviewing her. Uh, if you asked what convinced me that it had potential to be a series, I could tell you it was the incredible story Shirley told me in our interviews. So rich, complex, and full of twists and turns like a horror movie come to life. I could tell you that and it'd undoubtedly be true, but really the thing that made me become obsessed with telling the story was less tangible. It was simply some quality of Shirley's voice that sent a shiver down my spine because listening to her, I was utterly convinced that she was not lying. Mm-hmm. Are you still hearing shit? Yeah, like, yeah. Oh my God. But I think it's just my cats. So like I'm, I'm trying not to freak myself you out. You look genuinely scared right because now. Because I am. <laughs> genuinely scared i don't think a poltergeist has just suddenly entered your house i don't think that's not what i think but like i'm constantly like (laughs) did i leave a door unlocked like i'm like go check if you want to i don't want to (laughs) okay don't check i mean i'll call the cops if something happens and send them to your home (laughs) listen if it's yeah if it's someone scary just make sure that you get a lot of money for this recording that we're (laughs) okay 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 if it's the ghost of oj simpson i will try and get a lot of money for this recording he's alive (laughs) oh i thought he was dead i wish i I lay dead to me yeah I lay awake for a long time that night after first chatting to her, my thoughts racing because the idea that what she'd told me was true seemed the most frightening frightening thing of all. The implications for my life and the way I viewed the world were huge. I hope you'll feel the same friction I had when you first hear Shirley's voice in the series. Another incredible resource we have for our investigation is a cardboard box that Shirley stored in her attic for many years full of material about the case. It contains her father's diaries entitled Living with a Poltergeist, photographs Mm. and newspaper cuttings, and most useful of all, we have the files of the original investigator, a man named Harold Chibbett, which Shirley rescued from his house after his death. So Chib, right, Chib, as he liked to be known, has been largely forgotten by history. You won't find much if you Google him, but he was a respected ghost hunter in the 1950s. Chib is an intriguing character, a tax inspector by day who conducted paranormal investigations by night, camping out in kitchens and living rooms of those terrifyingly ordinary houses, trying to make contact with the other side. He'd served the First World War and perhaps as a result had developed a desperate desire to prove the existence of life after death. He was incredibly well connected within the world of supernatural research. Evelyn Hollow describes him as the Jay Gatsby of ghosts with a circle Hmm. of friends and contacts that included Sherlock Holmes, uh, sorry, not Sherlock Holmes himself, the creator, uh, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Yes. Uh, Imagine they were like, no, we're friends with the fictional character Sherlock Holmes. Sci-fi behemoth Arthur C. Clarke, legendary ghost hunter Harry Price, and even the notorious black magician Alistair Crowley. So he would help devoting the rest of his life to to trying to help the Hitchings and work out who or what Donald was. Which brings us back to Wycliffe Road, where having traipsed up and down the street several times and even bothered a local postman, I've made a startling discovery. Number 63 no longer exists. 
I knew the original house had been demolished in the in the late 1960s, but I'd expected to find something in its place, a modern day successor instead, as if the address had been erased, a fitting thing for a ghost story, a disappearing house. I'm pleased it's gone, said Shirley. I wouldn't ever want to go through that again. She gives an involuntary shudder and I feel another little shiver down my spine. And that is what they had to say about the Battersea poltergeist. So this thing, I guess, was just like basically causing such a ruckus that the neighbors were coming down in the middle of the night because they thought that the family Mm -hmm. was making noise. And then started writing on walls, which we have photos of, and I can put them up on the Instagram. They're very in parallel to the the same tactics that were used in the Amherst one. Like, I just find yeah. it, I just find it way too coincidental to have all of those similar behaviors in, to blame whether, to blame someone for these things just seems... Mm-hmm. Another too coincidental that they would have the same parallels in two different households and like like in why other would, countries yeah in like other countries two separate countries um another thing i forgot to mention was that the poltergeist would follow shirley so her work literally asked her to stop coming into work because of the ruckus it was causing at her job right like it was causing so many problems wow. and then yeah yeah, there was all these, like, writings on the walls, notes being left by the poltergeist for her. So I'm going to listen to this haunted podcast. I want to know more about it. But... Yeah. Yeah. And that's that. Dope. Cool. Well, um, would you like to do some... Leo fuck Mary Kills with some Leo Celebs, which is my favorite type of fuck Mary Kill. I know. Yeah, like I wait every year to do this. I've I waited know you do. only two years, but maybe three. I'm not sure. Two. I think we're on our third year now. We're on our third year. I don't think I've. Yeah. I think don't think we did Leo. I know we've done Leo okay. celebs before. I know okay. this, but I don't know right. if I had to do it. Wait twice. Um, okay. You, would you like to go first, or would you like me to go first? You can go first. Okay. So, I am going to go with Chris Hemsworth. Okay. Ben Affleck. Okay. And Jennifer Lopez. Okay. I'm killing Ben Affleck. Okay. I'm marrying Jennifer Lopez. Okay. And I'm having sex with Chris Hemsworth. Yeah, that's fair. What would you do? Honestly, big fan of Ben Affleck. Even though he's a disaster of a person... Big fan Good. of his jawline. Like Good shit. Yeah, okay, okay. Don't okay. know what to tell you. Okay. That's just how Say I no feel more. about it. So I'm not overly attracted to Chris Emsworth, I'm gonna be honest. Okay. Even though like he's a crazy heartthrob and like in so yeah. many movies he's a heartthrob, it he mm-hmm. doesn't do it for me. I don't know. Got it. I don't know why. Okay. I'm going to kill mm-hmm. Jennifer Lopez. Okay. And marry Chris Hemsworth. Okay. So um, I'm going to give you a tough one. Okay. I'm going to give you Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> okay. Mick Jagger. Mm-hmm. Or Demi Lovato. So I am going to kill Demi Lovato. 
Okay. And I have to use my words very okay. carefully when speaking about them because mm-hmm. they have, I feel, used their celebrity to mm-hmm. turning, talking about social causes, things like that. I'm all about it. I just feel as though it's always about them and not about the actual cause. Cause. Itself. That's fair. So I'm going to kill them. Okay, that's fair. And I'm also just very sick of the whining in all the songs that have come out recently. <laughs> and Mick Jagger, I will... Boom. <laughs> that's hard. Okay, this is really hard. Sleep with. Okay. Mary. Mary. Okay. He just seems more fun. Okay. And we all know what happened to whatever Kennedy when she married Arnold Schwarzenegger. He slept with the maid. So I'm just going to sleep with him and get it over with and never have to talk to him again. Okay. He's got like a lot of muscles. He could probably pull some cool moves. Yeah. There we go. In the bedrooms. That's fine. Yeah. (laughs) I think I agree with you. attracted to him, but. Yeah. I think I agree with your choices. I would also kill Demi. Honestly, my sole reason is just I've never liked them. I've mm-hmm. never really had enough... Affinity like, I, I, for them? Ne- yeah, I've never had an affinity for them. Some songs I've, you know, rocked out to in the car. But Yeah, I used, used to be a huge fan of the, of the songs they released, but... Mm-hmm. But as a, as a human, I've never been like, I love them. And Mm -hmm, also mm -hmm. when I think everyone knows that I'm like a huge Taylor Swift fan. So when all that shit was going on with Scooter Braun, Demi didn't say anything about it Um, because Scooter, I think she's on Scooter's team and like it's shitty because if you are associated with shitty people and you don't call them out on shitty behavior it makes you complicit in their shitty behavior so that's my reasoning for not liking Demi Lovato but I've also just never liked Demi Lovato um and then I think I would just agree with you for Mick Jagger and Arnold I feel like I would yeah would get married to Mick Jagger they seem like a fun time (laughs) And uh, yeah, like I said, Arnold's got big and muscles. We get to he go could to England. Some cool moves. Alana, England. Um, yeah, sweet. All right. Well, next week we're gonna do a hometown haunt episode. Yep. So if you guys want to send in your stories, Hometowns. you can yeah Hometown email haunts. us uh, at paranormalpod at gmail or you can also um, DM us on our Instagram. It's at ParanormalPod. And you can also follow us on our own Instagrams. I'm at Splendora underscore. And I'm at Nicolina Savelli. And other than that, I just want you guys to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast because it helps us to... Uh, yeah, we haven't had any ratings in like a month. And I'm like, y'all, I know you're listening. What the hell? I see you listening. Um, well, no, it just helps, like, especially reviews, like writing an actual review, even if it's just like five words, it really helps mm-hmm. to get like our name pushed up on the charts to get, I guess, more 
recognition, which is nice and exposure. Mm -hmm. So um, please rate, review and subscribe. And I really, really, really don't want you guys to forget to stay spooky. Yeah, because that showbiz, baby. So bye. Bye, Gabagool. This podcast has been brought to you by the Sonar Network. Sonar!